0: Remember the words of Edmund Burke, the only thing necessary for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. So we don't get to choose doing nothing. We've got to do everything we can, even if it doesn't seem like a lot. Because if you think you're too small or too inconsequential to make a difference, just think of the last time you tried to get a good night's rest and there was one mosquito in your bedroom.
1: All right. Well, thank you for joining me again. I'm going to introduce my special guest here in just a few moments, but I want to thank all my Patreon supporters. We have Shell Pace. We have an anonymous donor at $20.20. All of those at the t- Plandemic Reprimando tier at $17.76 with Ty, Charles, Tinfoil, Stanley, Dr. Anna, who was a previous guest, Frank, Brian. We have Kevin made his own $10 level. We have the Refine Not Burned at $5 with Linda, Emmy, Joe, Pat and Bev, PJ, Rebecca, Marcus, Elizabeth, Dawn, Jennifer, Ken. We have a self-made level at $3, Addison Mulder. We have... $1.50 buck 50 a month with Frank and then the courage is contagious at one dollar a month with Amanda J Spesnasty, Durrell Susan BB King and Rick thank you so much for supporting if you can't support that way please check out our gifts and my gifts and go that my wife set up and if you can't support monetarily at all please consider giving your prayers I want to introduce dr. Scott Jensen he is a physician that finished medical school in 1981 and in 1982 he received an award the Mead Johnson Outstanding Resident Award that only 15 residents in the entire nation received in 2016 he was named uh, Family Physician of the Year by the Minnesota Academy of Family Physicians also in that same year he wrote a book about relationship matters the foundation of medical care is fracturing and in 2017 he became a Minnesota State Senator so this man has done quite a bit in his life and he's come across quite a bit of controversy. Dr. Scott Jensen, thank you for coming on.
0: Thank you, Dr. Sigaloff for having me on your show.
1: Tell me, I understand because I looked you up and I heard you on another radio, on a radio station once, and you were talking about some lawsuits. Now you are suing the medic, the Minnesota Medical Board and Keith Ellison. Is that correct?
0: Yes, I am. During the course of the pandemic, I experienced things I'd never experienced before, as so many of us did. But in June of 2020, for the first time in my medical career, I was being investigated by the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice. And it was based on complaints from people who had never been patients of mine and never received healthcare services from me, but they did not like my narrative, uh, my political speech. At the time I was in the state Senate in Minnesota And I did address many of the issues of the day with the pandemic. I was vice chair of the Health and Human Services Committee. I'd been chair of the Senate Select Committee on Healthcare Access and Affordability earlier. And essentially, I was simply skeptical about many of the policy decisions that were being made, and that rankled some folks, and so they submitted complaints. And the first complaint came around, and I filled out... um, basically a response that was about 70 pages in length, and it took a long time. And I turned that into the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice, and uh, within a a few weeks, uh, I I was notified that all the allegations had been dismissed. And then a month later, again, I was being investigated, and this kept going until I was being investigated for a fifth time, starting in November of 2021. And at this time, I was in the middle of running for governor in Minnesota, and I responded as I had the previous investigations. But this time, the Board of Medical Practice didn't respond. And literally, for more than a year, this investigation hung over my head like a dark cloud throughout the campaign to be governor. The fact that I was actively being investigated by the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice was used against me politically during the campaign by my opponent, the incumbent governor of Minnesota. He had a tweet on Twitter indicating that if I was being investigated by the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice, what kind of a candidate would I be to be governor of Minnesota? So after the race was over and I lost in November of 2022, Two months later, I was notified by the board that they wanted to have a person-to-person conference. It was a notice of conference, and we went through that process. And after we met face-to-face for about 90 minutes, the board took a recess, came back 15 minutes later, said all of the allegations had been dismissed, the case was closed, and it was over. Now, I could have walked away at it that point. It took more than a year? More than a year. I could have walked away at that point in time feeling good about the fact that I had been exonerated. But that would not have been right because it really wasn't simply about a family doctor in Watertown, Minnesota. It was about the everyday person, whether you own a restaurant or a pub, whether you have a hair styling Business, whether you're a nurse that does home care services, whether you're a dentist, a lawyer, anybody who's beholden to any type of government agency for licensing or registration or a permit, anything like this, is susceptible to a government agency being weaponized. And I'm convinced that this is exactly what happened to me. There were people who repeatedly felt that if they could make my life hell on wheels, maybe I would shut up and go away. And so I believe the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice, through no fault of their own, was being weaponized by political activists. And so I felt at that point in time after being completely exonerated and vindicated that it was time for me to step up and say, listen, I am entitled to my First Amendment rights. I'm entitled to free speech. I understand absolutely that the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice has a responsibility and a mission to protect patients of Minnesotans, but that has to do with professional conduct as it relates to the practice of medicine. It does not have to do with the free speech of a sitting senator or a candidate for the governor of Minnesota. I believe that the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice stepped over the bounds of their jurisdiction. And I believe they did it with the assistance of the attorney general's office. And you're exactly correct, Sam. I have filed a case, a suit against the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice in the federal district court. And I have filed a lawsuit against the attorney general of Minnesota, Keith Ellison, in the state district court. No, I'm looking
1: at your, your lawsuit against the this. Minnesota State Medical Board. And it says, cause of action, count one. First Amendment, abuse of investigatory power, and chilling effect. Now, can you explain what the chilling effect is? Because I feel like that's the, the U.S. government is trying to do the same thing to me, to use me as the the chilled person to keep others from, from speaking. Can you explain what that means?
0: I'm convinced that physicians not only in the United States, but literally around the globe, have felt squashed and endangered, if they were to speak their mind. After the election and in the months of 2023, as we have seen the pandemic and its effects and its policies lifted, I've seen more and more physicians reach out to me whether it was through the Give, Send, Go initiative that we initiated to help pay for the lawsuit. But I have seen physicians in person, online, through phone calls, through letters, step forward and apologize for not being able to stand by me publicly while I was going through that process of being investigated. But the reason they weren't was because they did feel suppressed. They did feel the chilling effect that if they spoke up, they could lose their job. There was an article recently that talked about the fact that 70, 70, 70% of physicians in America are employed by either hospitals or corporations. Optum, a division of United Health Group alone, employs 70,000 physicians. There were many physicians out there that could not afford to be fired or let go. And so I understand it, but do I think the medical profession stepped up and met their responsibility of the day during the COVID pandemic? I do not. I think that doctors and the medical profession collectively were remarkably quiet during the course of the pandemic. And I think their silence was deafening. I believe honestly that we should have been the ones to tell the FDA and the World Health Organization and the CDC, what you're doing doesn't make sense. We should have been the ones demanding that when we got PCR tests for patients being tested for COVID, that we be told How many cycles were being utilized to obtain these results? We should have been doing more serial antibody investigations. We should have been leading the charge for science, but we weren't. And so I think the chilling effect of censorship and literally squashing any narrative other than the legacy media's narrative was problematic at a level that I've never seen during my lifetime.
1: I think the medical community failed in its biggest sense of the word to protect patients.
0: I think so, too, Sam. And I think, think, Sam, that I I agree with you. I I think the medical profession did fail. But there there are numerous players in this failure. But another one that needs to be recognized is academia. Academia just did not step up. They went along with Big Pharma, with its clear monetary interests, was a powerful force. The censorship that big tech was able to carry out at the request of big government has been well documented. Just within the last couple of weeks in Missouri versus Biden, we had Judge Doty come out and tell numerous agencies in the federal government, as well as specific contacts in the White House, to stop the chilling effect of suppressing and contacting various tech platforms. There were so many people, myself included, that were throttled, suspended from various accounts, kicked off, shadow banned, had stamps of disapproval because of violating community standards, This was carried out through the collusion of big government and big tech and big pharma was always a part of the equation. Pfizer set all-time records for the amount of gross revenues they were able to receive off of one product, and that product was one that they had no liability for. Unheard of. In the billions and billions of dollars I got to ask, is more of a personal
1: question. If you don't want to answer so if you don't know how to, that's fine too. What gave you the strength and the courage to stand up for what you've done so far, to question the narrative, to be different? Because there's very few of us, and it seems like the educational system selectively picks out those that have been in the system the longest, to stay in the system the longest, to become doctors who are most likely to become indoctrinated and to do what they're told and not think outside of the box. What gave you that spirit of in- curiosity?
0: I think it's an excellent question. I was raised in a family where my dad, who is an attorney and a judge, always encouraged us kids to to be skeptical and to ask questions. And if we didn't have anything to contribute to the conversation, we should listen so that we might understand how best we could ask questions. I believe that one of the most effective ways to teach people is the Socratic method of a question followed by an answer followed by another question frequently helps us arrive at our own conclusions. But I don't want anyone to think that I'm some hero because I'm, I'm convinced that if I had been shown the breadth of what I was going to go through over those three years, I might well have moved to Zimbabwe, Africa. But the fact was, little by little, these things happened to me. I oftentimes think of the story of Jonah being asked in the Old Testament to go to Nineveh, and it was a pretty tough job he was being asked to do. And he said, oh no, not me, no thanks. And he ran the other direction to the Mediterranean to take a cruise, and then the whale got in the way. But I feel like that's what happened to me at those moments in time where I wanted to bail out and not be this person because I've had a wonderful life. I've had a wonderful medical career. I've been honored with awards and I have just incredibly good patients. And I have the chance to work with my daughter. And my wife's a veterinarian. And my other daughter's a physician. And my son is an attorney who knows healthcare, And so I truly have been blessed, Sam. But One thing led to another, and it started really with a commentary that I was an author of in a newspaper in March of 2020 when I pointed out that I thought that some of the decisions being made to lock down certain businesses were potentially capricious and not thought out. That initiated a response by an antagonistic Democrat on the other side of the aisle. And that was why I was asked to be on a news program. And it just happened to be that shortly before that news program had me on as their guest, I was the recipient, as thousands of physicians in Minnesota were, of an email from the Department of Health in Minnesota advising me as to how the rules were going to change in regards to completing death certificates for COVID-19. And I, I read this email carefully, and I clicked on the link to the CDC additional information, and I was astonished. In my 35 years of medicine prior, I had never seen anything like this happen, never with a flu epidemic, never with any type of disease outbreak. And the fact that we were being told to use COVID, even if it was nothing more than a contributing condition, as the cause of death but to not do that if it were emphysema or asthma or something else was alarming to me and so i at this news program where we were talking about how it was that certain businesses were being shut down i raised the point i said i think minnesotans are going to be frustrated with a lot of what happens during the pandemic because i think we have a citizenry that typically likes things straight up, transparent, and honest. And I said, for instance, this decree from the Department of Health is not going to help build a public trust. And the interviewer on TV asked me to elaborate, and I did. And literally, Sam, that was the beginning, because a day and a half later, I think, I was on the Laura Ingram show, and ultimately I was the topic of discussion by Rush Limbaugh when I was on the Tucker Carlson show and I became a regular on cable news. And I had never been this person before. So it was literally, I think, step by step that my life unfolded. And there were so many supporters out there, so many prayer warriors, so much goodness that I felt that shield of protection that for whatever reason, I was being put in a place where I needed to be strong and I needed to be honest and authentic. And I tried my best to do what I felt I was being called to do. And I think some people might maybe mistakenly think that I'm some incredible ramble kind of courageous guy. I'm not, I'm just an ordinary person who was put in an unordinary situation. And I did what I thought was best. And if you look
1: at the Bible, it's interesting because that's, i love that humility, sir. But it's got that same idea as how the disciples felt. You know, I'm just a normal guy who got selected to follow Jesus, and they got thrusted into these positions where we know who they are now. And and so I, I certainly want to thank you for all that you've done. And I want to take a step back for a second though, because you mentioned changing the death records. Nick, can you just dive into the magnitude of what that actually means for the viewer, for the listener, so they understand this is changing something that for time immemorial has never been changed, that it would make one think that the death rate of COVID is so much higher than it ever should be, even though at the end of the year, if you look at total numbers of deaths, there was no excess deaths until the COVID shot came along.
0: Let's step back and just take a look at human nature. I think many of us who have lived at least a few decades will recognize and agree that humans don't do their best thinking when they're frightened. So I think this epidemic of fear that sort of ran side by side with the pandemic of COVID was problematic at a very root level. I believe that Abusive relationships that people have between one another frequently are born of fear. In that situation, I've always felt that the way to break through the fear is to get some context. So if I have a patient that I have to tell has prostate cancer, immediately their life is upside down. But if I tell them that at the PSA number and Gleason stage that they're at, their 15-year survival is greater than 98%. In an instant, I've provided context that lets them step back, take a breath, and say, oh, okay, can we talk about next steps? What might we do? That's what I tried to do with the COVID death counts because I realized right away that If in Minnesota the revision of how we complete death certificates would result in one additional inappropriate death being counted as a COVID death when perhaps it was a patient on hospice with stage four colon cancer who clearly was dying, if every county did one per day, in Minnesota, that would be 100 per day. And in the course of a year, that would be 36,000 deaths. And in the course of, if you will, three years, that would be 100,000 deaths that could be identified as miscoded. So we needed to take a step back. So I told Minnesotans and Americans, you need to realize that we have approximately 325 million Americans. So let's just round it up. We have 300 million Americans. Well, 3 million of them die every year. That means that one out of 100 of us will pass in the next 365 days. That's a time-honored statistic that you don't get to argue about. It's just context. So what I talked about was, if we out of those 3 million deaths understand that more than 20% of them are gonna be due to heart disease. And more than 20% of them are going to be due to cancer. And we've got emphysema and suicide and drug overdoses and Parkinson's disease and pneumonias and infectious diseases. And we have a, a whole plethora of deaths that make up the federal registrar for causes of death. If we start coding heart disease deaths as COVID deaths, and we drop it 20%, what's gonna happen? We're gonna see the drug companies come up and say, see, we need to put more people on Lipitor. We're coming to save the day. We're the cavalry. We told you that statin drugs are miracle drugs. And now you can see it. There aren't 650,000 deaths this year from heart disease. There's only 500,000, but the fact is we were simply seeing numbers manipulated. That's why it was so terribly important that we not corrupt the way we code deaths. The New York Times, Sam, today in the New York Times, the headline article was Measuring COVID Deaths. The article was written by David Leonhardt. They talked specifically in there about the fact that many of the deaths that had been coded COVID 19 were not deaths caused by COVID-19. We had public health advisors and directors in Illinois say in 2020, just because it says on the death certificate that they died of COVID-19 doesn't mean they died from COVID-19. We had Deborah Brooks on national TV say nobody dies with it. If you got it, if we identify it, you die of it. So I was simply saying, folks, we're putting ourselves in a world of hurt unless we can get on top of this and recognize that what's happening here is we're losing sight of context. We're absolutely bullying two-year-olds, demanding that they wear masks that a two-year-old cannot wear. We're throwing 20 years of literature out the window that had already been clear that a cotton mask doesn't stop an RNA viral particle of 0.1 micron, whether it's influenza or corona. It can't stop it because the pore size is 50 times larger at five microns. That's why I said, if you believe that, then you're the same person who thinks that a chain link fence will keep the gnats out of your backyard. We needed to provide context. And I felt like that was the biggest role that I played And yet I was absolutely eviscerated for making these comments. And I
1: heard this one lecture from, he was an engineer and he was pro-mask. And he was giving this lecture that was, when you look at the facts, it was clearly not pro-mask. He would say, if you take a five micron droplet, no, is a 500 micron droplet, and you drop it at five feet, it hits the ground in five seconds. If you drop a five micron droplet at five feet, it takes 72 hours before it'll hit the ground and the virus particle is 0.15 microns. So it's a fraction of the size that takes 72 hours to hit the ground. So virtually it never hits the ground. And the smallest particle that an N95, the alleged best mass that we have, the smallest particle it can stop is 0.3 microns, which is double the size of the virus. And that's taking into account that if the virus is what we say it is, if everything is on face value, and there's other theories out there that do hold credibility we don't have to discuss that now if if you don't want to but if the virus is what they say it is there's no way an NA5 can stop it.
0: I think the danger Sam was not getting in a bickering match with someone regarding what percentage of filtration would take place whether it was 15 or 40 percent the danger was that people who were highly susceptible to the virulent effects of COVID-19, people that were over 65 with multiple morbidities, people that had chemotherapy on board, when these people were told that if they wore a mask, they would not get COVID, this was irresponsible because literally you were putting their lives at risk by giving them a false assurance that you really had no right to give them. And you can just look back
1: at human history, if a cloth mask could work, then we wouldn't have had the flu pandemic of 1918. We wouldn't have had all these other pandemics throughout time memorial, because all they need to do is put a little piece of cloth over their face.
0: Exactly. I think that we had extensive research done prior to 2020 that showed that masking was not a successful tool of prevention for influenza epidemics. And the influenza virus does have many shared traits with the coronavirus in regards to its RNA makeup as well as its approximate size and also its ability to be spread both in large particle droplets as well as aerosolization. So there are many commonalities between an influenza virus and the COVID virus. But to say that out loud in 2020 and 2021 was to open yourself to a remarkable level of ridicule. So again, I'm going to comment on the article in the New York Times today talking about measuring COVID deaths. The fact that this has come out is an indication that we're starting to regain our equilibrium and we're starting to have conversations about what went wrong And I think we're recognizing that locking down businesses willy-nilly didn't make sense. Locking kids out of school hurt the underperforming kids far more than it hurt other kids. It absolutely disrupted our ability to identify kids that were the subject of sexual and physical abuse because, quite frankly, teachers in schools are one of our best reporting sources to try to identify those kids who are in harm's way. And locking nursing home patients into a facility that was rampant with active COVID-19 disease was one of the most heartless things we could do.
1: And just before I came on with you, I watched a video that you recently put up on Instagram and they had this, I can't remember if he was Swiss or he was some Eastern European country. And he said that they didn't lock down their schools and he gave the number of how many school children, school age children they had. And he asked, "Do you want to know how many died?"
0: There were one, there were one point eight million kids, one to fifteen, in Sweden, and they were not locked down. Schools were left open, daycares were open, and zero kids died.
1: Yeah, isn't that incredible? Shouldn't that just be a slap in everyone's face to wake them up to show them that? Every single walkdown for any school-age children was absolutely and demonstrably wrong.
0: I think that we were fortunate to have a country like Sweden be willing to go against the grain because it certainly has given us a chance to understand with much greater clarity for sure what did not work.
1: It will take us years to figure out the damage we've done to this generation, but at least we have Sweden to compare them to because they didn't lose a year or more of education. They didn't have all these problems that we will have in the future.
0: I think you're exactly right, Sam. I think that we're going to find over the next five to 10 years that the damage that was incurred against our our kids is not something that... We simply accelerate lessons and teaching programs so that they catch up. This isn't like a game of golf where you get a mulligan. There are no mulligans. We took pivotal years out of kids' lives, and it's likely that they will never be able to regain what they otherwise would have had.
1: And. The reason we're talking about this is we're family medicine docs. So we see children, but we're not the child specialist, if you will. Because I remember when this started, I saw an actual child specialist who worked in developmental. He was a specialist in developmental issues. And I asked him about masking. And I said, isn't this going to be a problem? Kids not seeing faces and hearing words pronounced clearly and precisely and see how lips form words. And he said, don't worry about it. Kids will bounce back. It'll be fine yeah we'll see how that works out yeah it's and at least we'll have one country in this on this planet to be able to compare to that didn't do that and i don't know if they did masking or if they did not do masking but at least they didn't keep their kids home and destroy their economy just to flatten the curve
0: other topics that you wanted to discuss sam
1: i want because i want to be respectful of your time i know you said you only have a little bit of time left where can people reach out to help you? And I'm gonna put a link down below of whatever you mention.
0: The best thing to do is simply to follow me on social media, Dr. Scott Jensen on Facebook, and basically the same on Twitter. I'm pretty easily found on social media. And if people would like to read my book, I wrote a book called, We've Been Played," exposing the triad of tyranny And in it, I'm making the case that big tech and big pharma and big government shared an agenda that ended up raising complete havoc with America and, frankly, with countries around the world. I use real patient stories, the patients I've taken care of, to make the point that patients are being treated like pawns. And in many situations, physicians have either betrayed or abandoned their patients. We no longer seem to have a patient-centered system of caring for them. It seems like it's more centered around insurance companies, algorithms, and specific accepted medical narratives. This is problematic at multiple levels. We've really gone away from a mind-body-spirit kind of approach. And so people can go to Dr. Scott Jensen's book Dot com And buy my book for 20 bucks. It's dot com, And I think you can get a lot of material in terms of what's been happening, not just during the three years of the pandemic, but for the decade prior to that, because clearly we have seen an incredible change in the way patients are treated by physicians and hospital systems and insurance companies
1: it's almost like they're most doctors are afraid to, to see a patient because what if they get sick that's what we signed up for we knew that going into this that was part of the plan we're going to go see sick people and take care of them and you know what we might get ill in
0: the process and that's okay yes i think we've lost our mission especially in family practice i think family practice we clearly signed on to to be there for our patients we're not the the captain of the ship uh, we're uh, the navigator. We're there to help. We're there to, I oftentimes compare it to being in a boxing ring and life is being in that ring. And when that person goes out and lives everyday life and gets bruised and bloodied and needs support and help and care and healing, they come over to the corner and we're there to stitch them up and help them out and send them back into the arena of life. And I think that's really changed.
1: It sure has. We're over there telling them, oh, don't go back. You couldn't get hurt. Life could be a little scary, could be a little unsafe when that's what life is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's scary, it's unsafe, but it's the bravery that gets you through it that allows people
0: to do great things to
1: help those around them.
0: I think, Sam, people have asked me, what can they do going forward? And I oftentimes will remind them this isn't about Scott Johnson. This is about the everyday, every person American. Our constitution has been put through a stress test like never before. It has been at times kicked under the bus and ignored. This is a huge issue. We all need to recognize it. While our constitution may not be perfect, it's been a remarkably vibrant document that's helped us get to be almost 250 years old and to be the champion for freedom around the globe. We need to really lean into the Constitution and recognize the wisdom of the Founding Fathers in putting it together. And we need to recognize that government over the last three years has used emergency executive powers to expand its controls and its authority like never before. And we're all worried that when you stretch a rubber band beyond its elasticity, It will never come back to its normal configuration. We have to be concerned about that in regards to our government. Our government has demonstrated an appetite to grow relentlessly and regardless of the Constitution. We have to stop that and never let that happen again.
1: That's right. The government is fire. If it's in its proper place, it It provides light and heat for everyone. If it's in its improper place, it burns the house down. Scott, thank you so much for coming on. I truly appreciate it.
0: Sam, thank you. And thank you for your service. And thanks for being a family doc. And let's do that, which we can all do. Remember the words of Edmund Burke, the only thing necessary for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. So we don't get to choose doing nothing. We've got to do everything we can, even if it doesn't seem like a lot. Because if you think you're too small or too inconsequential to make a difference, just think of the last time you tried to get a good night's rest and there was one mosquito in your bedroom. (laughs) Be that mosquito. (laughs) Have a good night. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, sir.
1: Yes, sir. Just a reminder for everyone out there, Duty uniform of the day, the full armor of God. Let's all make courage more contagious than fear. I have a new affiliate, Harvest Right Freeze Dryers. Take a look at the link below and see if it's right for you. It's a great way to store food for you and your family up to 25 years if stored properly.